a, a lot of Western medicine has lost its morale. It's lost its um, heart when, when we're just numbers now. We're Hi guys and welcome to another episode of the Meet Medic podcast. Now today I'm joined by my special guest Tracy Kimberly. Now Tracy is a certified health coach, go back to my blurb here, uh, mum of four including one with type 1 diabetes and unfortunately like many many others out there I'm sure Tracy's story will be no surprise to people out there. Um, she's had to fight very hard for the right to actually get proper health care for her kids and herself uh, to understand about her and her, her children's medical conditions. Uh, and we'll talk about that a bit today. Uh, she and her family are now thriving on uh, various low-carb diets, and we'll discuss what, what Tracy's doing with herself and her family a little bit later on. And Tracy's a certified health coach, works alongside functional health practitioners uh, and trauma psychologists using food and nutrition to help her clients. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. You are welcome, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Now, I apologize if I butchered any of that introduction, uh, but please, Tracy, if you can maybe give our listeners and viewers uh, your background, your introduction, all about yourself and, and your story. Okay. Um, there's probably bits and pieces that I'll juggle as I go through my story, but I guess with diet and food and health and lifestyle, I, as a person and a mother, woke up in 2016 on the 25th of August, which happened to be last Friday, seven years ago, uh, when my daughter was rushed to hospital in severe DKA and we almost lost her. She had about two hours to live before um, she either went into severe cardiac arrest or had a seizure um, or and or died. So it was a bit scary and um, woke up, she woke up about 24, 48 hours later finding out that she was a type 1 diabetic. Um, it was a pretty confronting reality um, as most or the limited information I knew about type 1 diabetes then was, you know, legs amputated, fingers going, uh, a very limited lifestyle. And um, I was determined to give my daughter a life. Um, right from literally day dot in the hospital, the endocrinologist and myself got off on the wrong foot. Um, I don't like being told that uh, you now have to share your daughter with me and you're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, I didn't like that her breakfast table was filled with a breaker, Cocoa Pops, toast, ma uh, margarine. Um, I was questioning all these things and he said, stop asking me questions. I am the doctor. I am the specialist. You will now listen to me. I knew then that I was in this world that I... I'd never been in the medical system. My children had, I'm very blessed, they've never really needed the doctor. Even to this day, none of my children have anti had antibiotics. Um, it's not that I don't believe in them. They just don't need them. And I believe there's other ways to deal with things first before we need to go and jump um, other hurdles. And so this is a very scary world because all of a sudden now I'm thrown into a world where my daughter has to have medication she must have insulin I knew that um, but then I was there faced with uh, lots of different uh, people dietitians nutritionists diabetes educators endocrinologists I mean it probably didn't help when he waltzed up the hallway and he said I'm your daughter's endocrinologist and I went what the bloody hell is an endocrinologist 
So that <laughs> right. didn't really go down very well. <laughs> um, as you know, I'm very straightforward when I speak. I don't sort of mince <laughs> my words, so he wasn't real, <laughs> real proud of that one. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so Ashley was diagnosed 2016. Um, things started to unravel for me. My past, I was anorexic at age 13. Uh, I then fell into bulimia. I come from quite a hidden traumatic background with quite a lot of abuse from uh, female abuse, mother uh, neglect and, and abuse and things like that. I you know, was very blessed to go to a lovely school, but behind the doors there was a lot of abuse and stuff. I realised then when my daughter was diagnosed that a lot of what I had to go through and what I learnt when I was 13, 14 and, and beyond um, was now starting to come into play, that food was actually going to be the way I was going to get my daughter and my family through this. Uh, how, I, I didn't quite know. Um, it wasn't until about three weeks when we got home after Ashley's diagnosis that I realised, again, so I'm jumping again, six months prior to my father, uh, to my daughter being diagnosed, my father decided that he was going to quit sugar because he watched a couple of videos on his plane flight home from here. And incredibly, he had somewhat started my journey with learning low sugar, low carb bits and pieces that I had added into the family. I'm a bit of a chef, a home chef. I love to cook. It's my, I don't sew. I don't do anything um, mother stuff. I'm, I'm just a cook. I love cooking. My <laughs> husband sews his army. He can sew. <laughs> I can't. can't even thread a needle. Um, and so I created some recipes for my father when he went through his cupboard and went, oh, my goodness, everything has sugar in it. And so we started exploring things for him. And he'd lost 25 kilos by the time sort of August rolled around. And then Ashley was diagnosed. So three weeks after she was diagnosed, uh, we did what the hospital protocol said. We fed some meals that are similar uh, and tried some of these things that the hospital had recommended, things like she was eating 100 grams of carbs per meal. Um, for some people, that mightn't be a lot. When you're dealing with insulin, this is a massive gamble. And I remember that night very, very, this night particularly very, very clearly, my husband and I had a bit, I won't say fight because that puts a real negative, but we had a bit of a bingle because there's numbers and we're both trying to work out and we're both trying to do the right thing, give her insulin because she was at this certain level and she's having 100 grams of carbs and then we had to do this ratio kind of thing to work out her insulin. It was just, it was absolutely ridiculous. We then ended up to call the hospital to try and work out what we were going to do because she was quite high. She was probably, I think off the top of my head, she was about 17 millimole. So we had to not only correct her to come down, we also had to give food an estimated amount for the food that she was having. And, okay, all sort of seemed to go really well and it was bedtime. It was probably at 9 o'clock. We put her to bed. I tested her and she was, she was about 7, so she'd come down, you know, good 10 millimole. And um, I said to my husband, okay, that's good. So, you know, did some cleaning up, whatever. We went to bed. It was probably about 11 o'clock, so it was about two hours after. And I said to him, I'm going to go test her. And he said, no, 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 no. We've, we've got the alarm set at 2 o'clock. We'll test her at 2 o'clock because that's, you know, that's what it says. We've tested her and, and then we'll do 10 o'clock. And I was like, I just, I don't feel good. I really don't feel, I just, you know, mummy's waters. I just don't, um, I've got to go test her. 
I went to test her and she was 1.7. Oh, my gosh. She dropped so quickly, so rapidly. Um, and she still had insulin on board. I was still grasping that in my head now, sitting here knowing what I know. Like, the situation was a lot dire than I really understood back then. And um, I corrected her, got her back to a safe level. Um, that took a little while. Um, then allowed her to go back to sleep and I literally walked out her door and slid down the wall and I I collapsed in fear, in tears, um, you know, all those things running through there. What if I didn't test her? What if I didn't hadn't have gone in there? What was going to happen? Because there's no such thing as CGMs when, when my daughter was diagnosed. Um, we, were, we were flying blind. Um, CGMs didn't come into our picture until 18 months after she was diagnosed. So... That next morning, I, well, actually that moment there, I realised that whatever it is, I need to take this into my hands and, and deal with it. And food is going to be one of our biggest, biggest keys to this mm. whole whole problem and picture. Anyway, um, the next day, funny enough, as things sort of happen in parallel with my family, my father had sent me a video um, of Dr. Troy Stapleton, who is a type 1 diabetic here, speaks uh, wonderfully for low carb down under and uh it was a talk on his low carbohydrate diet for his type 1 diabetes and he's a doctor himself and I watched that and I knew right then and there that's exactly what I'm going to be doing uh and I haven't stopped I've mm. gone everything low carb understanding I was an athlete myself I was a national swimmer I thought I knew everything about food diet and lifestyle and I've been corrected uh, I knew nothing. Uh, I still know nothing. <laughs> I'm learning. Um, I'm, I'm learning every single day from people that I talk to, people that I work with. I learn through trials and errors with my daughter. I mean, a, a type 1 diabetic is a walking lie detector. Mm. I love them. I talk to them all the time, everyone that's got type 1, and I, I, I piece things together with different foods. I've worked out different keto foods that are not keto because they'll send your blood sugars sky high but that's that sort of that was one part of our journey so we got Ashley uh to a really really good place uh that was so that would have been the end of sort of 2016 then I realized that I knew nothing about type 1 diabetes got the food right uh the food was the easy part for me uh, and then we had to actually navigate the healthcare system to try and get somebody to talk to me about what actually insulin did in the body. Now, I knew and understood insulin from my father having metabolic problems, but there's such a bad twist to insulin. Insulin's this negative, horrible thing, and blah, blah, blah. Well, it is when it's abused and mm. it's, it's getting and it's destroying things in the body, but it's also this thing that if we don't have, You've got DKA and you've got my daughter laying in a bed almost dead. So it's actually an important hormone, like extremely important um, for so many other things, not just weight loss, weight gain. There's all these other things. Uh, and I try to teach people about insulin and how we want to save it. So when I'm talking to type 2 diabetics, I don't talk to them about this negative, you know, insulin. Blah, blah. I talk about why I want you to heal it. And so, because I've seen the power of insulin, it keeps my daughter alive every single day, but it's also yeah. something that will kill her. Uh, so this is why food 
and everything just plays such an important role for everybody but with a type 1 diabetic when you're giving them something it's 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 really important so we got her really really well um 2016 2017 by the end of 2017 this miraculous equipment called a CGM entered our world which yeah. was just incredible um, and she's as special with electronics as I am <laughs> so we break them a lot luckily my husband is a software engineer and he says to us do you two know that you're not in google troubleshoot <laughs> so we have lots of fun with cgms but i tell you what they're one of the best inventions uh that mm. have ever ever come about and i was able to tweak so much stuff and work out what foods work in her body, what doesn't, what is keto and what's not. What, it's not necessarily keto, what keeps her ketogenic, what works in her body. Mm. Uh, and it's quite interesting. There's some foods that I noticed that are in your keto food lists and low-carb food lists, and they're not really, they on paper they look good, but once they go into the body, they're not so much. Mm. And anyway... Uh, long story short, she started off with a HbA1 of A1c of 7.3 when she was diagnosed. In the care of the endocrinologist of the first 18 months of her diabetes care, she went up to 9.7 HbA1c. When the endocrinologist threatened me um, when he found out I was doing going to do low carb, and he kept persisting on that he was going to call docs, and I had two male endocrinologists standing in front of me sizable gentleman my daughter standing over in the other side of the room with another doctor beside her and he was threatening that I will not be able to have my child because I was going to kill her by doing low carb I packed us both up left that room and I have never gone back to diabetes care here I live in Canberra I have never gone back to diabetes care here in Canberra I've searched for all the care that we have we went overseas to America via Skype and spoke with diabetes people over there. Um, I finally found a doctor here in 2018 who assisted me and and worked with me with a lot of things to do with her care. By the end of 2018, my daughter had a HbA1c of 5.6. Wow, incredible. And that's under my care. Um, yeah. So us mummies can be taught. We can learn. Um, we may not have a medical degree, but I'll tell you what, when it's your baby laying in front of you and their health is on the line, you will do what is necessary to make sure that your child has a life. Mm. So yeah, now, absolutely. now we're a HbA1c of 4.9, but uh, there's a few more stories wow. in between there. <laughs> I think that so, might be better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> in between there, uh, so we did keto. We did keto really well. As I said, we went down to 5.6. But I did keto so well that I made her sick again. Um, uh, we, she, well, even myself actually, uh, rashes. She started gaining a lot of weight, uh, increased uh, inflammation, uh, and lots of different. So she went from having about 38 units of insulin a day to having about 240 units of insulin a day. And again, yeah. like I faced, years before that no one would listen to me because you're just a mum I've been told that one many a times and I said yeah but something's not right somebody please listen to me and it was finally in 2019 I saw Paul Mason at Low Carb Down Under and I said Paul please listen to me something is not right with Ashley and he turned around and he said yeah you can see it 
And I was like, thank you. I said, she's on 240 units of insulin. He goes, crikey, not even my type 2 metabolic patients are on that. So finally somebody was listening to me again that I wasn't being this paranoid mother, that there wasn't, there was something just wasn't quite right. So the beginning of 2020, excuse me, he did some tests for me, um, lots of tests. He's a brilliant man. I absolutely adore him. And funny enough, a year before all of this happened, I actually started experimenting with carnivore for mm-hmm. my own health. So my journey is mental health. I don't read very well. I can't. I was told I always had short-term working memory problems. When I started learning about food and insulin and all these different things, I came across Dr. Georgia Ede and mental health stuff, so type 3 diabetes. So my journey is has always been trying to get my brain work and why I can't mm-hmm. think, why I can't be smart like everybody else. Uh, why I was always challenged as a kid. I was, as I said, I was a national swimmer. My body's very strong. I'm mm. extremely ketogenic, but my brain doesn't work very well or didn't, mm. didn't. It's getting better. Um, and so I experimented with carnivore and I found things like a rash that I had since I was 14 disappeared within 10 days. Mm. Uh, my brain was starting to think clearer. Um, just, and I felt happy coming from an eating disorder. I felt in control but didn't have controlled thoughts anymore. And I'd had these plaguing me for 25 years. A a person with an eating disorder will understand what I mean. Um, There's control but then there's control but you've relaxed in control. Like it's it's a hard one to explain unless you've been through that disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that was good that I had done that experiment and learning because then when it came to 2020 and Paul said, right, Ashley's very sick. And I said, yeah, she is. She still had a HbA1c, mind you, of 5.1. So, But, again, here we go. She's got a great HbA1c, but she's still really sick. Mm. Um, Gut was she now had celiac and huge markers, but we weren't eating gluten because we were keto. and. Her thyroid was, well, squiffy. It was not good. and But we were doing keto. <laughs> like, hang on a minute. Yeah. So there were a lot more questions and not many answers. And Paul said, we need to go carnivore. And I went, yeah, okay. Why? Like, explain to me why. Paul sat with me for ages. God bless him. I just love him. Mm. Um, and he spoke a lot about lectins. So I went looking at lectins. And then somehow the computer gods put on my computer this podcast between Paul Saladino and Sally K. Norton, and I was hooked. I was hook, line, and sinker gone for days and days on oxalates. Um, I have done my own research into oxalates, what it means for me, and I've worked out what it means for Ashley. I can see it in her bloods now when we have too many different things like oxalates and, and stuff like that. I don't let my kids eat raw plants if they're going to eat any at all. I don't like it. We're really careful with fruit because now I also know fruit fructose is a neurotoxin. Um, it's really, really interesting. Like oxalates are, me personally, it's what was damaging my brain. 
Mm. It had damaged parts of my body when I was a swimmer. I was always extremely weak on my left-hand side, very strong on my right-hand side. People would just bob it off going, oh, yeah, well, we always have one side stronger than the other. When I went very strict carnivore in 2021, so I was doing meat-based, so like dairy and every kind of meat Mm -hmm. and things like that as I was healing, I decided to go, oh, well, there's this lady in America, she does meat patties and a few things, and I wanted to make carnivore somewhat convenient because we're busy. I've also got teenage kids now. Uh, My kids are exploring the world. They're out doing things with friends. How am I going to get my children to safely eat while they're out? So I thought, I'm going to experiment with McDonald's meat patties. And so I started doing that in 2021. And within three weeks of doing that, I ended up with a frozen shoulder, quite Mm. severe, like I couldn't move. And it was actually oxalates coming out of my joints in my shoulder and my elbow and moving with the synovial fluid. And I ended up with actual lumps and bumps and crystals coming out of my skin. Wow, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, And then the good old fun thing, which Sally talks about in a lot of her books and, and coaching classes and stuff, is trying not to let your body dump. Well, good old Tracy, mm. as she likes to teach people, she does things to herself. <laughs> um, and I experienced my first very severe dumping episode, which was interesting. Yeah. And this made me really wake up to the fact that this was very, very real, uh, the oxalate um, accumulation that a lot of people do face uh, and a lot of people don't really understand. I've never, ever had a kidney stone, never had a problem with that but my body was accumulating crystals. I still am releasing them. I'm four and a half years now into pretty Mm. meat-based carnivore living and I'm still, like I had a beauty come out here on the back of my neck. It was quite sore and it was quite an oxalate crystal coming out of the skin. Mm. Um, Very, very interesting. I find it quite fascinating. Uh, Ashley, being still that she's young, 18, she hasn't had the accumulation like I have over the years of building Mm. that up. So she doesn't sort of go through as much as I do, but I can still tell every now and then when she has an oxalate blip in her CGM um, Mm. that we're sort of going through a state. And females tend to deplete oxalates in their menstrual cycle. Yes. Because it's blood, it comes out. Yeah. Uh, So it's very interesting uh, Mm. doing learning all that and, and, and working with her with that. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, yes. you mentioned Sally's, Sally's book. I've got that here. It's an Brilliant excellent book, book and I, I recommend oh. all my patients to, uh, to, to get it. And she talks about that in there, you know, she talks about differences between males and females dumping between seasons. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, it's, yeah, really, absolutely really is, fascinating. Yeah. Um, I, I absolutely adore that book. I highly recommend to a lot of people actually get the book and get it on audio and read and listen at the same time because part of you will pick it up, part of you can read. And doing that dual um, can sometimes Mm. be really handy because there's so much information, like there's so much, and she goes through it in so much depth. So I have it in both ways Mm. um, so I can sort of listen. I go for lots of long walks so I can kind of listen again and, and go over things with her because, you know, she's talking to me on the, <laughs> on the, on the audio. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's lovely. But that book I highly recommend to a lot yeah. of people. 
Well, she's she's mm. kind of tentatively agreed to come on the podcast in a, in a few weeks, hopefully. So that will be excellent to have a chat to her. So listen out for that episode, everybody. Uh, um, you mentioned Dr. Paul Mason. Now, I know he mm. does listen to this podcast as well because he's contacted yeah. me a few yeah. times wanting a chat. So hello, Paul, if you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, glowing praise there from Tracy. Um, yeah. So was, was he suggesting oxalates or was it lectins or was it was he kind Paul's, of... Was, uh, was, Paul's was, was it your lectins. Own? I mean, it's not that he doesn't not believe in oxalates. For me, oxalates were, uh, they were the missing piece to our puzzle. Yeah. The lectins was a big thing. Don't get me wrong. The lectins were still a big thing. Um, You know, here's the young girl. She was my firstborn. She would steal veggies and fruits and things out of the fridge. And I thought, really good mum look at me that's what oh I'm yeah for. <laughs> all, 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 all the good stuff you yeah, know exactly. that's, that's gonna make her healthy oh, like look at me I've never not eaten meat I've always been meat look yeah. when I was in my anorexic days meat probably actually saved my life because back in my day yeah, wow. our day when we were younger meat didn't actually really have nutrition panels on it mm. so for my disordered eating brain I couldn't there was no numbers somewhat factored into that yeah, uh, if i saw if i saw mints that said fat free then i w- i would go for that because mm. i was fat phobic um but i never really associated meat fat like on a t-bone and steak and mince so much say we bought it from the butcher i didn't yeah. associate again i was 13 when i was anorexic so i still a very immature brain going through this it was it was a very hard stage in life um Mm. So I didn't associate, so I was probably actually very, very lucky that I didn't because I actually still ate a lot of red meat, which mm. has probably kept me alive. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So thank goodness I knew something <laughs> back then. Um, but now we do. So when Paul came on board, um, we went very, very strict carnivore. and almost overnight Ashley's insulin started to come down there were still some hiccups there's still some things happening and that's why I went even further to look and that was where I started realizing the oxalates and as they come out of her body they were causing spikes in her insulin yeah that's really interesting because it's stressful Sally talks about it in her book how stressful and how challenging and hard it is for the body now Mm. I am part of Ashley's body. I'm her pancreas. Um, We are her pancreas. Uh, She's now 18, so she sort of is taking some control. But back then, I I, I was her pancreas. And so we know with stress and cortisol, insulin is needed. It it, it goes up. And so I went looking as to why was she having these funny spikes? And then I'd sort of look at other signs and symptoms around she'd get some spots on her face she may need to go to the toilet a little bit more her mm. urine was a bit more cloudy and so i was like well, i wonder what and you know look at and then yeah. as i said sally Kay and paul saladino that podcast yeah, yeah. in retrospect it's 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 simple yeah i mean I, if i heard that i'd say well these are oxalates you know right. in retrospect now that i know that i mean a, a year ago even even a few months ago honestly i didn't know that much about oxalates even even mm. a few months ago and it was yeah. really only through reading sally's book i've learned so much it really is a great book anyone that's out there i'll put a link in the description uh really really great book everybody should should be reading that 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, like a lot to kind of un unpack there. Sorry, um, I know. <laughs> no, no, no. Like it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, great, great story. Um, I mean, a lot to unpack there. Obviously, uh, a few things I want to go back on. Obviously, you mentioned yourself yeah, sure. with with the history of eating disorder, anorexia, yeah. your daughter, of course, Ashley with type one diabetes, CGMs coming on the scene. Uh, as well, and of course, all about oxalate. So, a few things to unpack there, I'm sure, as, as, as a lot else. Where yeah. do you stand on the idea of CGMs for everybody? Do you think everybody should get a CGM, or do you think they I should would... be reserved for people? Because this, I do see people arguing about this, and, and it oh. seems to be a bit of a contentious thing. Should it's kind yeah. of like the Ozempic for diabetics almost, but like, mm. you know, should people be be reserved CGMs for those with type one diabetes or, or serious type two diabetes hard to control or do you think there's a role for everyone having a CGM? I think personally there is a role for everybody. I think it's extremely important. Um it's yeah look I, I, again yes I understand that everybody on type one diabetes now is actually subsidized by the government and that is an absolute blessing. Um, and I am so grateful that's that's um, going to save a lot of lives, especially our babies. You know, a lot of them can't communicate and tell us that their blood sugars are dropping. They can't explain or tell you that they're high. Uh, and so, you know, it gives flexibility and freedom for parents to allow their children to go to a birthday party, to go to a sleepover, to go and have fun with their friends, and you can monitor from afar. Mm. Um, so, yes, there needs to be... A reserve for our most vulnerable which is our type ones then yes second of all our very severe type 2 diabetes people um, they need it if if you are using insulin you really do need to be able to watch your blood sugar levels and what you're doing because insulin can save your life but insulin can also kill you so yeah I really do again though you know there's still people in and, and I sit in that court why do we still have type 2 diabetes? We can reverse yeah. this. Oh, we absolutely so, can. For 99% of people, we can. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and But maybe there are some that we really do need to put them on a CGM because we've got to see what foods are actually impacting them. Like I've experimented with Ashley, yep. in, in many of your keto food lists, raspberries are in there. Mm. For Ashley, you give her a raspberry and she'll go from 5 to 15 within seconds. Yeah, wow. Okay. I had a type 2 diabetic client, beautiful man, and he would call me up and he'd go, Trace, my bloods, I can't get them down today. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Tell me what you've been eating. Let's have a look. And he had a CGM, which was a blessing. And he's like, I'm sitting. He goes, I'm just, I just keep skyrocketing after breakfast to 15. I said, all right, let's unpack breakfast. What is it? Tell me. And then he, we'd go through it and it was, you know, he'd had some bacon and eggs and then an hour later he'd sit down and he'd have his Greek yogurt and he would have blueberries, strawberries and raspberries. Mm. The moment I got him to take those raspberries out, his blood stayed at five. Yeah, wow. So even he was challenged. And now you go and read anything about oxalates, you look at Judy, Chow, Judy Cho, who's um, the nutritionist, you look at Sally K. Norton, oxalates mm. are huge in raspberries. Yeah. Raspberries are also a food that was man-made. We have created mm. them to look beautiful, look pretty, and be sweet and tasty like they are, and they're massive in oxalates. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, they're not as healthy as everybody would like to think they are. Um, mm. So it's been very interesting having a type 1 and looking at some of these keto foods. I've been able to manipulate people's diets um, based on what my daughter 
okay, yeah, it's an N equals one, but then I, when I tweak some other people's diets, I get N equals two, N equals three. Um, exactly. You, you know, start to start, see the, the pattern. I start to see the, patterns. Yeah. So yeah. blackberries, raspberries, they're not as friendly as some people would like to believe yeah. they are. And especially if we're honing in and targeting on a specific something um, like inflammation, gut mm. inflammation, we have to take this seriously. Yes. No, Oxalates absolutely. are agree. a serious thing. Um, oh, massive. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I actually saw a patient today. She's uh, 50, 56, I think, off the top of my head, mid-50s. And she's got like stage 3B maybe kidney failure. And she's like 50-something. It's like, why, mm. have you got, why have you got kidney failure? Or, or, I don't know. Mm. My GP just keeps bringing me back for you know, bloods or whatever. And I'm like, okay, but why have you got kidney failure? Like, there's no reason. Okay, like, tell me about your diet. Oh yeah, you know, like I, I eat this, I eat that. Okay, like fine. Like, do you eat spinach? Oh no, I hate spinach, can't eat spinach. Oh, but I, I, every every couple of weeks I make me and my husband a sorrel soup. And I just, I didn't have the book with me and I was just like, oh my God, sorrel soup. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about because you've, you've read the book and uh, if Sally's listening, she'll know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. In the book, she uses this example of sorrel soup actually killing someone. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it just turns out this lady is actually uh, not, they're not having it all in one sitting. They have it over two weeks yeah. for some weird reason. Okay. And probably the only reason she's still alive is because she's spacing out this sorrel soup. And then she's also chucking a ton of parsley into it, which is massive in oxalates as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, my God, this woman's just poisoning herself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with these mm. oxalates. So anyway, she's going to stop them now. She's going to go slow, reduce them slowly. Yeah. And uh, and then we're going to monitor her. But yeah, it's just, oh, these oxalates are so crazy. It's, it's interesting. But uh, there's just been released that there's going to be a five-year study in oxalates. Um, I just was really? sent, a friend tagged me in it just before, um, Susan Owens, uh, I don't know if you've, have you heard of Susan Owens? I've not heard the name, no. Susan Owens writes um, Try Low Oxalate TLO. Um, it's a Facebook group that I'm a part of. Sally K. Norton talks about Susan Owens a lot. Her mm. son, or she does oxalate research into autism because autistic people tend to produce it, endogenous oxalates more yeah. than others. Um, mm. And she's put her... I'm pretty sure it's her son, Susan Owens, who has a son that's got autism, and she's been on this oxalate, and she's been funding oxalate research over the last yeah, wow. several what, years to actually get true understanding and readings of oxalates in food. Um, mm. There's also the Volva Foundation in West Virginia in America, I think Sally talks about. Sally just um, talk about that, yes. Yeah, uh, they actually have very true readings of oxalate uh, but this new study that's going to come out five years i'm super excited i never yeah. thought i'd be so excited over a small little crystal <laughs> no but that's that's great i mean it's crazy because sally talks about this and i know this is true you know like 150 200 300 years you know probably longer we've known about oxalates and the potential damage they can cause yet nobody knows about them you well, know, we, it's, we just don't want to know about well, them. Well, we might keep people well. <laughs> well, but I mean, I remember that in, in medical school, you know, learning about pseudo gout and it was this weird, like, what the hell is pseudo gout? Oh, don't worry. It's just not gout. Okay. But what, what actually is it? Oh, well, you know, it's just a different form of crystal. Okay. But like, what is it? Yeah. What cause? Oh we, oh, we don't know. 
it's just we just call it pseudo gout yeah. and yeah it's actually just it's oxalates that's that's yeah. what pseudo gout basically is um but even if we go back to you know like 150 odd years back to james salisbury and the salisbury steak you know there was doc there were doctors curing people of incurable you know autoimmune conditions rheumatoid ulcerative colitis all these kinds of conditions where you either had terrible disability or just died if you had them yeah. with with a carnivore essentially carnivore diet saying that but we think it's the plant toxins take them out all people get better like how did this not just like how, how did the medical profession just kind of say ah you know what like you're curing incurable stuff but ah you're just you're just a weirdo yeah. like how like how does that happen it's just insane to me i i don't know i mean you know it, as a as a mother who i i look I'm not a professional anything. I laugh with people. I say I'm a jack of all trades, master at nothing because I, I learn where my children need to take me. I learn where my patients that I sit with need to take me and I go and just read. I mean, I'm right now doing light health. I'm working with Jalal Khan, who's a, um, a, a biologist, who's a quantum biologist, sorry, and I'm doing some coaching and learning with him because I want to go further with people's health I, I can see things that are just like food is a massive part don't get me wrong but there's so many other aspects and facets to what makes a healthy human being mm. and I just I, I keep I just want to keep learning I, I yeah. hope that I never stop and um, so I, I all my children and I can this is another n equals one if Ashley doesn't wear her glasses, her insulin requirements overnight actually go up mm. because she doesn't sleep properly. Mm. Yeah, more cortisol and in, more glucose. She's in front of the computer. Yeah. Um, I started getting into this back in 2018 because uh, mm. she was about to get a laptop for school and she's grade nine and our yeah. children are in front of all these devices. So um, there's a lot of facets and aspects that come into play working with a type 1 diabetic because everything affects you and yeah. it, it's very interesting but food I have to say is one of our keeps us alive but it's also one of our biggest enemies mm. oh, it certainly yeah. can be and you mentioned insulin earlier being you know kind of blessing and and curse I think that's a great way of you kind of talking about it life-saving uh, you know life-giving and also potentially life-taking uh to be feared and respected and of course insulin is involved in so much in the body um uh, not just blood glucose that's how everyone everyone knows it but you know I usually say to people it's like the ocean you know 99% unexplored um every time it seems there's a new function within the body you know discovered it seems insulin somehow involved yeah uh it's absolutely fascinating uh just to touch touch quickly back onto cgms we were talking mm. about that mm. i mean I, I think it kind of sounds like you're saying look you know people should if they can access them for education or you know learn what food does to them to their blood sugars trial just trial and see and work out what's what's happening i mean it could be the food you're eating it could be something that's happening time of day uh it's i think cgms are a magical thing they're they're great um they're they're a technology that i think are underutilized uh they're not a lot of people don't really know how to use them i 
well, I specialize in reading them because I do it every day of my life <laughs> with my child. So I actually encourage all my clients to get a CGM. I believe at the moment Freestyle Libre have your very first one for $15. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Around about, yeah. So yeah, they've got I a trial one. Yeah, I've got like a Dexcom here that I used that's like $30 for three weeks or something. And yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic tool. I, um, I'll help anybody. If anybody gets one on and they don't have anyone to help them read it, just send me a message. I'll help <laughs> you read it. Um, I found a lady had sleep apnea by looking at her CGM. Yeah. And I sent her to the dentist to go and get, um, sleep studies because, I also found that my daughter had sleep apnea again. Uh, she was um, probably about 13, so it was two years after she was diagnosed. Obviously, we had the CGM. Mm. And she's having these funny spikes at 3 o'clock in the morning and she was requiring more insulin. Now, mm. Chinese body clock and lots of things, 3 a.m., that's where we as adults and, and children start to come into that adult brainwave stuff. They go into REM sleep at about 3 o'clock. We go into a deeper part of our sleep at 3 o'clock, roughly. She was spiking. So her body was showing me a stress response because it was a quite quick mm. cortisol response. And I started, you know, as I do, learning, looking around, piecing things together, investigating what could it be. And I took her to Symmetry Dental here in Canberra. They're the best family boys and father um, dentists you could ever come across. And I, you know, I was still that weird mum. And um, they, they looked at me and they went, oh, she's back again. Yeah, all right, all right, we'll, because I'd already had my son and and because um, he wasn't breathing properly. And right. um, they were sort of listening to these food things I was I was talking about. They were into food, but not my food. <laughs> it was a little bit of food. And um, they were sort of starting to swap the pyramid around. I'd already flipped it. <laughs> and um, I asked them, please, could you just do some tests? Could you do what you did? with Kayla but look at Ashley and they were like oh look she's a little bit older and I said yes but she's type 1 diabetic she will be slightly delayed because we've got to catch her body up we've got to make sure her body's safe could you please just run mm -hmm. some tests anyway they did some scans and things like that and came back in with jaws on the floor and went um she's a 40% blocked airway already mm -hmm. she has sleep apnea she's silent sleep apnea uh it's very rare to catch it in a kid like this um because it usually you don't see it in a child and you'll mm. see it in an adult who ends up with chronic migraines, neck problems, headaches, etc. Um, mm. Diabetes spoke to me and showed me that she had perfect teeth. She had perfect, absolutely perfect straight teeth. Uh, we had to get a special, they got a special type of plate made for her to actually bring and unlock her TMJ mm. joint and things like that. Yeah. And um, that was, I'm, I'm very grateful when people listen to me. I mean, I know I come across a bit strange sometimes, uh, but um, the universe shows me things that I'm meant to learn, I'm meant to know. Mm. And, again, that helped me save another lady's life several years down the track when I saw the same response in her blood. She wasn't on insulin. She was a pre-type 2 diabetic, and um, she's now actually reversing. She's didn't quite make to type 2, thank goodness, she, Dude, but she's yeah. going back this way. And um, her sleep has improved immensely uh, mm. by actually getting a splint. I don't believe in um, CPAP machines uh, working with the Symmetry Dental Boys. Uh, it doesn't actually help you and teach you to learn to breathe. It just pushes air into you. So by actually going to see a functional medicine dentist, uh, you can get certain splints to help 
bring your jaw forward mass, get your tongue, yeah. and get your tongue back into your mouth so you can actually yeah. learn to start breathing yourself. Mm. Um, again, some people won't believe that and that's fine. That's That's your journey. That's where you need to go. I like working with people who want to get the body back to doing what the body knows it can do. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's all about what, what is the actual problem there. If you, if you need a MAS, the best support is a MAS, uh, a mandibular advancement splint. Anyone that doesn't know what MAS is, MAS, uh, and it brings the jaw forward, you know, so as you're saying there, Tracy, same as when we do like a jaw thrust for CPR, basically it brings the jaw forward, pulls the tongue forward with it, allows the airway to open up. Um, and if that's the problem, then, then a MAS really is the, is, is what you need ultimately. Um, for some people, they will just, just, the MAS wouldn't help them and they, and CPAP would probably be, be the best thing. Um, I mean, you mentioned there, of course, uh, a few things about just, you know, just being just, just a mom and, you know, of course, not knowing anything. Of course, you're very well educated now. Let's go back. That's a good segue to go back a little bit if we can and recap about this, this history of the, the type one diabetes and the, and the, the be, you know, threatening to call docs. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, how, how that must have made you feel absolutely terrible. Yeah, it did. Um, it, okay, it wasn't the nicest feeling, um, but I've always been somebody that, well, I tend to annoy people because I ask a lot of questions and I want to learn when people are in front of me. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't as insulted as I probably should be because I'm kind of used to annoying people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I went home and did my own research and... Actually, in Australia, there is no law that I have to see a paediatric endocrinologist. Um, It was made up and told to me here. The Canberra politics here in in the diabetes world is is interesting. I won't go into it too much. But um, Mm. there's only two paediatric endocrinologists at the time here in Canberra, and they sort of ruled everything. So you are by rights allowed to build your own diabetes care team. When I met my GP that I have, she's the most beautiful doctor. Um, She documents every single thing that I do. Every doctor, dentist, metabolic specialist, diabetes person in the the United States, um, every single thing that I do, she documents just in case that one day that that doc's threat was actually going to be true, mm. she's got that I do take care and do everything I can for my child. Um, mm. That threat's sort of a bit washed now. She was 18 a couple of months ago. So, um, yes, yeah, probably it's, not an issue anymore. But not, I mean, just the fact it got to that, you know, they, they you were kind of threatened with that, all because you wanted mm. to explore a low carbohydrate diet. Correct. Yes. Because uh, I wanted to explore a low carbohydrate diet, and I wanted to understand what insulin was and what it was used for. Um, that caused a lot of threats, um, and I realised that uh, my daughter was never going to be treated as Ashley, who has type one. She was number four hundred and seventeen, who was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Like she's just another number walking through that door. Um, and that made me feel really sad. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm very, very grateful for the doctors and nurses that brought her back to life when we ran into emergency medicine and I needed their help. But a, a lot of Western medicine has lost its morale. It's lost its um, heart when, when we're just numbers now. We're individuals mm-hmm. that walk in. Why was I not 
spoken to by the endocrinologist. You've known your daughter for 11 years. I've just met her. I've studied for 11 years. How about we come together and we work out what your daughter needs? Okay, that sounds a little bit washy, but... No, that's the way it should be. There still should be respect, patient and client. You... You, you yourself have done how many years of study? There's probably a lot of things that you know that are even greater than I do. Um, but at the same time, I know myself very, very well. So yeah. why don't we come together yeah. and, and we work as one to work through the issue I've come and seen you for? Mm. But that's not and the reception that you got. It's not. And it seems to be in a lot of different uh specialist departments in the in the um in the hospital especially it that doesn't ever seem to happen you're just a an, another number another person they don't sort of get to know you i i know and i understand that there's time constraints and i get that but it, it it's it's very sad i mean we were put we were put on three different insulins when ashley was diagnosed and the pharmacist who i got to know she was like why are you on three and i went well, I don't know. No one will tell me about it. She says, most people are on two. Why are you on three? And she kept asking me every time I'd come in with a script. And I'm just, I, mm. I don't know. So I finally went to an endocrinology appointment and he looks at me and he goes, what are you doing wrong? And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean on what am I doing wrong? I'm following everything that you've told me. He goes, mm. here, look, look at this graph here. She's, she's having a low here and she's having a low here. You're giving her too much insulin. And I said, well, I'm, I'm using the cards. They have this stupid card system. I said, I'm using the cards. I'm working out what I'm giving her. I'm, I'm doing exactly what you have told me to do. I'm giving the insulin. Anyway, well, that conversation just kept going around and around in circles. Finally, he said to me something. He goes, well, you know that people, the biggest meal of the day is at dinner. I said, not in our house. I said, and not her. She doesn't really eat a huge dinner. She eats a really big lunch or she comes home and has afternoon tea mm. kind of thing. That's all the ways the way she's been. She just doesn't eat a big dinner before bed. And he goes, well, there's your problem. My problem. Mm. Shut up, Trace. Just be quiet, Trace. Just Trace. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, okay. So he goes, well, then she shouldn't be having this insulin because this is insulin is a five-hour yeah. insulin. And I went, what do you mean a five-hour insulin? I, what does that mean? Yeah. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. So that's where I went home and I actually learned that um, exogenous insulin has these timelines that yes. work in your body. This is why people can inject insulin and you have to know four, five, six hours later if they've got insulin inside them because mm. they could have a hypo doing different things so it's very interesting you've got to learn these things when you're mm. injecting insulin and um yes the insulin he was giving because of the small food or the, the types of foods that we ate for dinner didn't have the longevity of that particular insulin that she was having yeah. so she was having these hypos a few hours yes. later after dinner but, but that was never explained to you mm, was never asked how we ate. It yeah. was never asked or explained to me these insulins. Um, however, long story short, when we sort of swapped over to carnivore eating and eating a lot more meat, those three insulins actually do work very well when you know how to use them. <laughs> yes. So she, what, what's, what's, I mean, Ashley's not on the show herself now, but what was she, is she doing carnivore now or is she kind of keto? Where, where is she at now? Low oxalate keto? Where is she or? at? 
she, um, I allow, like all my children, to learn and experiment for themselves. Uh, she is whatever she needs to be. Uh, if she goes out with friends, where is most 18-year-olds going to hang out? McDonald's. So she will eat meat patties. Funny enough, most of her friends now actually like to eat the way she eats. So <laughs> she'll get a little bit of onions, meat patties and some cheese and they all eat yeah. predominantly the same. So they, they, they're, she's got uh, she's a support worker like myself. She helps some trauma people that I need her to help me with. Uh, mm. So she... Uh, gets McDonald's meat patties and, and and uses those to eat with my clients, trauma clients, and 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 help them. Um, she will eat. So you know we've worked like Turkish restaurants. She can go and get lamb kebabs, or like lamb shish things, a little bit of sour cream, some cheese, uh, she, and she she sort of ebbs and flows. I allow her to uh, be her own person. I mean I'm. I think I've taught her very, very well. Uh, she'll occasionally go and get like a Turkish box, which will have a little bit of salad in it and um, and, and some meat and sour cream and cheese. I At the end of the, the day, I've said to my kids, the biggest no-no, the biggest thing that I will get really cranky at is if you eat seed oils. I just want you to stay away from those. Canola, mm. vegetable, all of those ones. Again, another N equals one story. Ashley will require almost three times more insulin having seed oil something than mm. having it that's not made with seed oil. That is really interesting. Yeah. So it's, and then the inflammation, well, her body's very ketogenic. You mm. put that seed oil, oil, fat, I hate that it has the same macronutrient because it's not yes. fat. Uh, you put that fat into her body. Her body cannot read it like normal fat and convert it into ketones. And so her body mm. stresses. Everybody's body stresses. And then she quickly flips over. The liver has to start giving her energy. She's an 18-year-old yeah. kid with a brain going, metabolic mm. things happening, cellular stuff. Quick, we need energy. Yeah. The liver then squirts out the glucose that it needs because it no longer can get to that fat that she's just consumed. Yeah. Um and she will be out of like a, not out of ketosis, I don't really like that, but she will, that pendulum then swings into a yeah. glucose-driven state. Yeah. Um, and it'll take actually a day or so to get her back into actually being mm. that nice ebb and flow in that metabolic state. Yeah, interesting. I know pe people like Peter Bruckner, um, I don't know if you heard, you know, you know that name, Peter Bruckner, he talks about, uh, you know, inflammation, seed oils actually potentially being one of the big contributors to metabolic syndrome and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and diabetes, not necessarily actually sugar and carbohydrates. I mean, I apologize, Peter, if you're listening and I'm butchering your work, I apologize. Um, but he, you know, he's, he does a lot of education, I think, around, around seed oils and the inflammation there mm. as well. And you mentioned, of course, Paul Saladino, and he mm. certainly rallies against, against the seed oils. <laughs> he's very I've quiet been, about it. <laughs> he's exceptionally quiet about seed oils. Um, yeah. I've been listening to a few of his podcasts lately, and I think he's got a lot of, a lot of very, very good stuff to say. And, you know, maybe right. at some point I'll see if I can get him on the show. Who knows? I'll get onto his show and have a chat with him. But uh, very, um, he's very knowledgeable. So people are like, oh, you should like try and get on his show. And I'm like, oh, he's going to show me up. <laughs> he's exceptionally right. knowledgeable, but he, 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 he really knows his stuff. And he certainly rallies against seed oils. We know that these industrial seed oils are just so terrible for the body. Mm -hmm. they, they really, really are.
Yeah. Um, so I mean, so obviously Ashley's doing doing kind of her own thing now as an eighteen year old. But you've yep. got you've got four kids in total. One, of course, Correct. Ashley with type one diabetes. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think a, a lot of my listeners, uh, viewers, you know, comments I get on YouTube about is how do you practically manage kind of low carb keto carnivore as a family? Ah, uh, yes. I'm not going to say it's hard because I don't think it's that hard, but it's, it's, um, I like to let my kids learn and experiment. So they still go on sleepovers. I don't pull rank. I mean, a lot of families know that we eat differently. Um, and I will get mums come to the door and they'll go, mm, this weekend wasn't great. And I'm like, okay. Um, cause I need my kids to learn like, when we're working with patients, we want to get them to feel better because they don't know what it's like to feel well. So we want to get them there so they can feel it. But we also sometimes need them to make mistakes because we need them to to, to learn. We're human beings. Some mm. of us really have to learn things by falling in the gutter. Yes. Some of us can learn by falling near the gutter. Some have to learn in the gutter. So, And I have children that need to learn too. So they they learn these things as we go along. So they will have things that their friends are having they will trial these things but I'm very fortunate that my children also know what it feels like to be very very well so we have a lot of meat breakfast is extremely important Uh, I don't like I mean the saying breakfast is the most important meal of the day I agree with that but don't agree with that (laughs) breaking your fast is the most important meal of the day Exactly. And that's very, very important, especially when my babies are going out into that world where they're going to be faced with all these other food choices, all these other things that these children have in their lunch boxes or tuck shop or whatever the case may be. I wholeheartedly believe by coming from that disordered eating background where I don't believe anorexia is a psychosis illness, it's actually a lack of nutrients and energy in the brain by making sure that my children have all the nutrients, all the fats that their brain is going to need for that day, beginning it in that day, they are not going to go looking for anything else. Mm. That's my hope anyway. And for the most part, it actually works. Both my boys now who are 16 and 15, they tend to not eat much at school anymore. Why? Because they mum, I'm not hungry. And my brain seems to work better. And Probably it does because they're probably quite easily going into ketosis. They're not, they're not overthinking food. I mean, we know, um, we know what these foods do to blood sugar levels. They do it in the brain. These these children at school, especially, they're literally starving for nutrients. They're starving for actual real energy. That's why they constantly eat all day. Yeah. Um, but I also encourage my children to come home and talk to me about what their friends are eating, what they. Uh, what they're seeing, what they're feeling, and they do. Hey, mum, do you know my friend had a box of shapes today? I said, oh, anything else? Nope, that's all she had in her lunchbox. And I went, hmm, oh, that's, what, what do you think about that? It's not really good, is it? And I said, no, I wonder what the ingredients are in that. Um, and we'll go and have a look. I, I talk to them about everything because I don't want them to fear this. I want them to understand it and I want them to understand why I'm concerned about it. And we talk and we look at all these things. It's no different to me, as far as I'm concerned, it's no different than watching the news uh, Mm. and watching the wars happening and watching planes crashing and and 
all these kind of things. Why can't we read labels on food? Why can't I teach my children the different dangers of things that are also out there? Yeah. And they're legal. They are. And they're dangerous. They are absolutely. I mean, I always say to people, well, just because they sell it in a supermarket doesn't doesn't mean it's safe or good for you. Um, you know, they sell alcohol, uh, not really here in Australia, but, you know, supermarkets elsewhere in the world, they sell alcohol, they sell drugs, you know, all these other things. I won't really get into guns and whatever, because, you know, some people like them, some people don't. It's a whole other topic for a whole other show. Yeah. Uh, but just because they sell it doesn't mean it's, doesn't mean it's good for you necessarily. Um, and I think that that is a very real thing. It sounds like you have a pretty similar attitude to to what we have, you know, in our household. We also have four kids, um, young, so seven down to two and a half months now. And yeah, uh, um, yeah we, we kind of try and let them experience. I think you've got to have some guidance, especially when they mm. are very young. Of course. Because at the end of the day, like you are their caregiver. You are the one making the decisions. Mm. They, they are not really have the having the capacity mentally to make those decisions so you have to make those decisions for them but it doesn't mean that you can't involve them in those decisions um but by educating them like when we go to birthday parties you know we don't stop them eating the birthday cake but we also say yeah yeah if you have the birthday cake you're gonna go crazy and then have a sugar crash and feel terrible do you know you do you want that and usually they say yes because <laughs> they're little kids but but they yeah. get it they they know they're going to get a sore tummy. They know that. Okay. Uh, they, they know what, what happens, you know, when right. that when that happens. And it's really interesting since we started feeding them more meat, but also giving them a bit more freedom in what they eat. They go to parties and stuff now. They actually, they go like, but dad, like there's, there's, there's no proper food here. Yeah, you know, they they're, 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 they're not, they're not yeah. perfect, but they no. can like, they actually will pick actually healthier choices now uh, and they won't eat like the fairy bread full of sprinkles and you know stuff like that anymore because it just doesn't taste right to them now well it doesn't it doesn't have flavor it's just sugar like my son yeah. says like actually my 16 year old now he's he's really amazing so i actually put him very semi carnivoral meat based when he was 10 so it was a year after ashley was diagnosed um because he was also diagnosed sort of told that he had short-term working memory problems too and he will never amount to anything he can't learn which was exactly what happened to me when I was younger and I was not going to have another child suffer like I did and uh, he's been on very high meat fat um, sort of keto since 10 he's now actually predominantly carnivore he's probably a bit low carb so he's doing a lot of karate and cycling and things like that he actually eats white rice and meat that's it so when he's doing bodybuilding and stuff just to help his glycogen and, and a few things like that um but i'm teaching him how to uh how to use different meats different proteins that can actually turn into gluconeogenesis faster and get into his muscles so uh I'm experimenting with him doing those things. When he's feeling a, maybe a little bit flat or a bit sluggish, then we'll add in resistant starch white rice, mm. low oxalate, because um, he's like me. He hates fruit. Well, he hates literally every plant, <laughs> which is mm. great. Yeah. <laughs> so easy, to do, to easy to do so carnivore then. Yeah. He's really easy. Um, and he will eat He will eat all meat. And, and so this is where I'm manipulating and twisting and, and working with 
the different bodies working with what he wants to do and the results he wants in his body. White rice is not going to be for everyone. Not everybody wants to bulk and build muscle. He does. He wants to, I mean, he doesn't want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's 16. He wants to start going to the gym. He wants to feed his muscles. He wants to do things. Now, rice has been in many, many cultures for thousands of years. They didn't have diabetic problems. They didn't have metabolic problems. So Mm. is white rice actually a problem? Well, let's work it out. For some, it's going to be. For Mm. him at the moment, not so much, um, which is perfectly fine. So this is where I sort of uh, work these, uh, I sort of twist it. I don't let him have just white rice. The white rice must be coupled with meat. So I'll make him a brekkie fried rice, which is full of butter, ham, eggs, and probably a little bit of cheese. And it's very meat dense with a little bit of rice. Yeah. So it's not it's the opposite. The, the opposite of what yeah people Correct. are normally eating, which so, is like you know rice how we're told and, yeah, and have the fistful of meat and then you have yeah, everything else around it. Well yeah. he has the fistful of rice and he has everything around it. Yeah. So he still is actually, when you work it out, he's still actually low carb. He probably has about, on his big days, he might have about 70 grams of carbs. That's yeah. It. But if he's lifting and going to the gym, he's probably even in ketosis most of the time anyway. Correct. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's very interesting. I like to sort of uh, play around with diet and look at what, for Ashley, no, it, it, white rice would just be really difficult. But funny enough, actually, resistant starch white rice and resistant starch potatoes mm. aren't so problematic. Um, yeah. That's a Christmas food. I allow at Christmas time we have fun, mm. birthdays, Christmas. We still, we have our boundaries. We don't mm. step outside our boundaries. Our boundaries are low-carb keto. Our ultimate is carnival, and we work within those boundaries uh, every day. So we just know where we stand. We know what we're doing. And for her, um, and actually for lots of people, I question why has festivals and, and birthday parties and things become so much focused on food? It used to yeah. be focused on fun, family gatherings, being with people, playing with friends. Mm. Now it's all focused and centered around all the food. So people say to me all the time, oh, doesn't Ashley feel, you know, like restricted and just horrible going to these things and you making her eat the way she does? And I said, but if she eats the way your kids are eating, she's potentially, (laughs) she'll probably die. She'll have a hypo and then she has to sit on the side of the pool until that hypo is corrected and then maybe she can get back in and swim and then she's potentially going to have another hypo until that insulin is out of her body. So could you please explain to me how all of that there packaged together is fun? Whereas if I make a few treats for her, she has those. We use minimal insulin. We have minimal potential of having a hypo. She's out swimming and running late Mm. circles around your children. (laughs) So laughing her head off and having fun. So it's very interesting how in society now we've centered all these food-like products to be what is considered fun and acceptable and and, um, Mm. we've taken away from actual real fun. Yeah, and it's all based around sugar predominantly as well you know the sugar the more sugary the better as well which is crazy i mean just once i'd love to go to you know one of my kids friends you know birthday parties and just see like some some meat or something (laughs) 
<laughs> like a cheese, a wheel of cheese. Like my wife and I for our wedding, we had just like a cake, like a um, circles of wheels of cheese as a cake. Yep. You know, yep. we had we had a cheese cake made out of yep. cheese. You know, because we wanted to do something a little bit different. You know, rather yeah. than just sugar, sugar, sugar. Oh, but that is what it I is. It. Um, what would you say? You know, people that are out there thinking, but isn't isn't like low carb keto carnivore? Isn't isn't that bad for kids? Like they just need carbs. Well, then explain to me why kids are born in ketosis. That's sort of my answer. Most of them don't actually know that, but we are born in ketosis. Um, children are actually so much easier to get into ketosis. We're meant to. We're meant to have this other state. We are exceptional species, us human beings. We have adapted to have two fuel systems that we can get into, both. We have both for a reason. They're a necessity. Both are a necessity. I'm sorry, carbohydrates and glucose and that, there are so many cells in the body. I mean, you can probably explain this far better than I, but we have brain, certain brain cells, certain heart cells that need glucose. But we also have this exceptional pathway called neoglucogenesis that makes that glucose for us. Um, so, yeah, cool. If we can get a little bit of fruit and honey, real fruit and honey that's actually nature not man-made but anyway we won't go to that part but we would we would have oh we can we got things. time <laughs> <laughs> oh good <laughs> i get very excited over this i always tell people because another little story i had one lady fight me one day she's like i'm going to eat like the bible tells me and i said oh well that's fine you can eat any which way i said but did you know most of the foods in the bible don't exist today yes sorry um I don't mean to brain on your parade, but most of our foods that we eat have been genetically modified, have been changed to look better, to look appealing to, I said, just go and simply Google uh, a banana. Go and yeah. find out where a banana has come from. Yeah. And she just right. looked at me yeah. with this puzzle faced. Yeah. I think carrots, someone told me, I didn't actually know this. Someone told me that their carrots actually are originally purple. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. So there, um, <laughs> Maria Emmerich did a really, I think it's Maria Emmerich did a really good little post and it had like watermelon, banana, carrots and eggplant and it yeah. had all the different ones and what they looked like. Yeah. Um, super well, interesting. Even, yeah, even ones that aren't that different necessarily in, you know, color, whatever, like they've just been bred to be sweeter, to be bigger, to be more sugary, um, often then more toxic alongside that, unfortunately. But, you know, that's been ignored for so long. Some things out there like broccoli, uh, cauliflower, these are essentially just man-made artificial, Correct. you know, kind of plants of that never actually existed. Yeah, the amount of pain people are in forcing themselves to eat broccoli and cauliflower because it's low carb and I've got to have my fiber and I just I sit there and I'm like I just because I've got to have a plant on my plate I'm like really do you like I, I now try to teach people I'm like I want three quarters of your plate to be meat uh, meat based whether it be a bit of cheese cream sour cream meat I want you to go three quarters of your plate you mm. have room for those plants eat them because they're just they're not as necessary for many of us as we think they are they're just yeah they're not 
Um, I think I think you're right. I mean, just to go back a little bit to you know the kind of the kids in in, in ketosis, I, I think that is absolutely right. I mean, that's pretty much like a mic drop answer. You know, is well, well, kids are born in ketosis essentially. Um, babies, you know, they breastfeed, they break out of ketosis for a, maybe an hour or so, and then they're back in ketosis again. Uh, ketosis really is the natural state, uh, and it was only because. They started studying fed and fasted state essentially after we started stuffing our face full of carbohydrates that we even have this discussion around you know fed state versus fasted state and ketosis really is predominantly the natural state there is evidence to support that maybe it's not good to be in ketosis 24 7 uh 365 you know for the whole life but predominantly yes we probably should be in ketosis yeah. but just again to bring it back to kids uh, and, and plants People ask me, but you know, aren't, aren't, aren't plants needed mm. for kids? And I say, okay, but why do kids violently refuse them then? Because <laughs> they don't want them. <laughs> you know? They don't need them. <laughs> and then they always they say, know. I've, well, I've spoken about this a number of times. Uh, people that, new, not, that aren't new to the show, they'll, they'll have heard this a number of times, you know. And, it's, and these people say, yeah, but their kids are just naughty. And I'm like, really? Your six-month-old mm. is naughty? Mm. Six months? Like yep. they don't know naughty. They don't know good mm. or bad. They mm. they don't even know left or right. They can't even see like a meter in front of their face virtually. Mm -hmm. Like they don't know what's going on. They know survival. But they know instinct. That's yeah. it. They yeah. haven't been indoctrinated. They are very instinctive, very um, you know, intuitive. A piece of broccoli, a piece of cabbage, they don't even know what to make of, of broccoli or cauliflower because they it's not even in their like I don't know, whatever you call it, DNA knowledge, I don't know, DNA memory. They don't even recognize what it even is because it's essentially artificial. Um, you give them a piece of meat and they, they just go to town on that. And you give them like peas or something and they just they just violently refuse it. Violently, yeah. like throwing it across the room yeah. and, and screaming bloody murder. Ah, they're just naughty. Mm. They don't know what's good for them. No. I asked someone the other day, you know, why why do kids not want vegetables then? And they said this this parent said, well, you know, because because they don't know what's good for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just, the answer doesn't even make any sense. No. You know, no. If it's good for them, why wouldn't they want to eat it? It just makes yeah. no sense. No, know, it's so. it's 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 crazy the way we we sort of have been led to think and we've been led to believe and and how our thoughts have changed. I mean, I talked to my dad a lot and he remembers sitting at his dining room table with his great or his grandparents. And they used to say, come on, Neil, finish your meat. Then by the time it came to our dining room table, it was, come on, Trace, finish your veggies, eat your veggies. Don't worry about anything else. Eat your veggies, then you can have dessert. Mm. Um, somewhere in between there, we've, we've kind of really lost our way. Just completely um, flipped, yeah. Yeah, but... No, I mean, you're right. We're not supposed to live in a complete glucose state all the time and we're not supposed to live in a complete glucose uh, ketosis state all the time. We're supposed to be metabolically flexible. Um, we Predominantly our brain loves ketones and it will stay there if we need, but the body will ebb and flow between what it needs as we need it. If you, you know, if a lion's chasing you, you're going to want to jump into that glucose system and run your little heart out. But then when you're resting and recovering, you want to be able to go back into those states. I mean, that's your anaerobic and um, mm -hmm. just flew out my head. <laughs> aerobic. Aerobic yes. states. It's all those states. Sorry. <laughs> I should have had some more meat fat today. It just flew out my head. Um, but you want to be able to go through those, those two states. And it's really important that we have both. I mean, 
I saw somewhere on Facebook yesterday uh, someone talking about it's actually an experiment, this high-carbohydrate diet we're on, and it started, you know, 50, 60 years ago. We're still in an experiment and we're failing miserably, but nobody wants to stop. <laughs> no, it's um, probably not, not wrong, really. It's, it, was, it was brought about, um, uh, you know, to start eating all these high carbohydrates and push this and, um, and, and high fructose and, and things like that. And it's, it's kind of scary. I mean, walking around looking at school lunch boxes and, and things like that, just, um, you know, because I'm being trained to count carbs now because having Ashley, uh, when we first started, we don't really count carbs anymore because we just don't have them in anything that we eat. We don't worry about them, to be honest. Mm. Um, but when I look at a shopping trolley, I mean, oh, my goodness, I went to Costco tonight to get some of our staples and um, I saw this family with two shopping trolleys from Costco walking together and they probably spent the same amount of money as I did uh, except I had half a trolley and they mm. had two full trolleys um, my heart just I wish I could go and talk to them I wish I could say hey you know um, please for your children's sake like 99% of what's in your trolley is not real food yeah. but I can't I have to be really careful um, what I do, what I say. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it, when you've got to kind of bite your tongue because you know that that they, they could be making better choices. I mean, obviously, look, we're not trolley shaming people and, uh, you know, there's no, no judgment, of course, but no. it's hard when you know that actually with a bit of education they could probably make a make make a change, you know, a small change that would that would maybe mm. go a long way. Mm. Yeah. It is no, hard. I, just, I wish. But, I mean, look, everyone judges my trolley. I walk around with four massive, like I think I walked out of Costco today with 180 eggs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised so, they let you buy that many. So, well, I've made friends with people at Costco, as you can tell. Yeah. I talk to everyone, so I have my friends at Costco. Yeah. Our local Costco, you can only you can only buy, I think, two lots two lots of eggs or like yeah. one one big tray. But we we walk yeah. out with like like ten packs of like that the big mints of yep. Cos in Costco, and the people are just like, yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the same. I mean, I'm feeding six here, six people here, and I've got yeah. two teenage boys. So yeah, you know, pork rashes, mints. Um, I don't stop my kids from eating anything meat um, and I talk to people a lot about this too is your processing because I'll say to people, get some salami, have some cabanossi, have some cabana, but good, good, go get good stuff of that stuff. They go, but, but uh, I thought processed food was bad for you. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, you're just <laughs> telling me that you had a bowl of oats for breakfast exactly. this morning. Hold a moment. Context, like, is, context is king. Could you please? I said. You know, processing is a spectrum here. I said, we don't go out and bite a cow on the bum in the paddock. We actually have to process it to get it to a steak. Then I said, look at your, like, cabanas and your salamis. I said, how close are they to that steak or that pork, depending where it comes from? And she goes, well, they're not that far away. Oh, I said, so, but then you're looking at all the other things, like your oats and also all the other things that she mentioned, your yogurt and with, with, mm. with fruit and I said that's all way down in this processing so again what's I said it's been dubbed processed meat because it is different to a steak but where is it on that processing line and again I always talk to people about their boundaries how far are you going to go for some people 
okay, they can't have cabanas and hams and things like that because they've got histamine problems. They've got allergy things going on. So they've got to be really strict. My kids, other than, well, actually, Ashley's actually very healthy. All four of my kids are very, very healthy. They're at a good place. We don't have any metabolic inflammation problems anymore. So mm. a snack for my kids is salami with parmesan cheese in the air yeah. fryer because they can yeah. have these things. Sounds delicious. Um, depends what you're healing, where you're going. Um, yeah. This is I, I do see on a lot of Facebook groups all these fights with people and I always, not always, but sometimes I will chime in and go, well, what's this person's, what are you trying to heal? What are you trying to do? If there's metabolic healing happening, then we've got to do this. If there's inflammation healing, then we've got to do this. You know, there's all these different things that we've got to do. But especially our babies and our children, they've got a little bit more flexibility. Mine have. They've they've lived, excuse me, a pretty clean sort of uh, lifestyle since 2016, since Ashley was diagnosed. Um, and and so you know we can have some of these salamis and cabanas and I actually buy them from the butcher he makes fantastic ones um, we have sausages for breakfast we have eggs um, it's I, I I like to make sure my kids have a lovely wide variety but everything must have meat there must be meat involved or or an animal product so cheese meat um, it's extremely I think it's extremely important and vegetables or fruit, if any, are so secondary. Um, but I still like them to experiment and see how they feel. My 16-year-old son goes, I don't need them. They're a waste of my chewing. <laughs> <laughs> my chewing quota for the day. <laughs> my chewing quota. I mean, he's <laughs> got to have seven dinners, so I'm not wasting chewing power. I've got to lift weights tomorrow morning. I'm not wasting chewing power on that. <laughs> so... Great uh, fair enough it's that's, fair that's, enough that's, that's where do you so, uh where do you where do you stand on like organs uh we because you mentioned fruit honey we can come back to that if you want but yeah, where, where do you stand yeah. on organs because um wow. i i feed i feed my kids organs uh mm. now i've started experimenting with organs a little bit and they don't want to just eat certainly not raw organs they don't want to yeah. eat that um they don't like the idea of just eating like, oh, here, I'll fry, you fry you up some liver. But if I chop it up and put it into mince, they they know it's in there. I'm not hiding it. They know there's chicken heart. They know there's liver in there, maybe yeah. some other organs. And they eat it quite happily. Yeah. What about yeah. your kids? Do you feed your kids organs? Uh, I haven't done a lot of organs. They're not real interested. I mean, I've got – I have done some liver sausages a little bit. They weren't overly fussed. Um, I have freeze-dried liver supplement here. And I will give it to the kids if they're sick, but my kids don't get sick. Um, if they do, it's like, <clears throat> okay, I'm over that. Um, and they're fine. So I'm pretty blessed. I haven't really delved into, and Paul, this is one thing that I spoke with Paul. He said, I've got people on carnivore who do organs and I've got people on carnivore who don't. So um, I guess there's probably a bit of a, like, a, a, again, if it's a cultural thing, then eat it. If it's not, it's not really in my sort of world. So I haven't really explored with it or done anything with it. I'm not against it. I'm not for it. I'm just, if you want to eat it, go to town. I mean, I have a friend who ended up with a vitamin A toxicity because she ate too much liver. Um, 
Really? Because yeah, we hear people. You know, this is from a, from a doctor's perspective. You know, I I do say people just be careful of organs mm. because you can get this vitamin A toxicity. And then you always see people on these Facebook groups. Oh, I eat like four kilos of liver a day, and I don't get vitamin A. And you're just making it up. And you're like, oh, really? Okay. Um, but so you've obviously you've obviously seen it. You know, kind of well secondhand, yeah. I suppose. But you've seen it in someone who actually mm. had a vitamin A toxicity from too much yeah. liver. Yeah, yeah. So again, I wonder if it's um, uh, like the oxalate sort of things. Everyone has a different threshold, a different requirement, a different need. I mean, we all do. We're individuals. I mean, we're all humans. We we breathe air and 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 stuff. But at the end of the day, cellularly, everything we're just we're completely different. Maybe some of us do. Maybe some of us don't. Um, why I can't answer that I don't know but no I in the four four and a half years that I've been meat-based um I think I've eaten one liver beef sausage and that was it wasn't really yeah not my thing sorry no that's fair <laughs> enough that's fair enough I, I yeah. think I think I would agree with you I think some people they want to do it that's great if they don't want to do it that's also fine I, yeah. I've said from the start and I'll probably say it Till the day I die, I don't think we necessarily need carnivore. I need organs on carnivore, mm. um, but for some people, maybe they they have a role. I mean, I'm actually maybe. experimenting with with them myself now, as I said. And um, you probably can't see it from the video. I don't know if I move this, people might be able to see. My hair is actually regrowing now. Oh, wow! Like a week a week on liver, and mm. uh, it's like the photos are insane. I'm going to be putting them up on my Instagram. Yeah. Um, people are listening in the car, are just like oh, I can't see the photos. Um, <laughs> on youtube you might be able it's to there, see, I can but, see it people it's, um, I can see it. <laughs> my, my, my head is still shining shining from the light my hope is to get enough hair that i don't i don't have to i did a, a an advert for my my medical center and they had to like put makeup on my head to stop it being so shiny because i'm because i'm bald <laughs> that was a bit embarrassing oh, but um oh. but this interesting like a week a week on liver and like my hair like the photos are just unbelievable like the difference mm -hmm. is, is crazy um so i'm i but i think you know they, they might have a role for some people mm. but mm. also i don't think they're they're essential where do you stand yeah. on on like things like raw honey you mentioned paul saladino a number of times that he's mm. all about the raw mm. honey and the raw milk where do you stand on those things do you, do you have those in your house do you not yeah. yeah well i have a type 1 diabetic so i have to correct her as well as we do with food and as well as everything is, we still do have mistakes and things happen and I still need to correct her. So I try to correct as natural as I can. Um, I try to correct with food. Uh, every situation, as you would know, being a doctor with a type 1 diabetic is different. Um, if she's about to drive somewhere and she is tracking a bit low, then yes, I will correct straight away with glucose because the time calls for glucose. We need to have that right now. If she's at home, and, you know, she's dinking around whatever and it's like, oh, Ash, you know, she's a bit low. Or she goes, Mom, I'm feeling a little bit low. We sort of work out how much insulin she's got. We've got a great app. And I'll just say, oh, there's a little bit on board. Let's have some milk or we might have some honey. Honey's a great, it's not too spiky because it's not completely glucose. It's a kind of a mix. Um, but honey can be interesting to play with because it's an organic substance. It's not exactly always exactly the same to correct with but there's a lot of nutrients in honey I grew up using manuka honey for different things um, I don't my children don't walk up and eat honey just purely because 
you know, they have sweet cravings. My children don't really have those, which I'm grateful about. Um, but honey is there and sometimes they'll have a bit of honey, but it's usually more for correcting Ashley. So we have raw honey or local honey. I make sure we have some of that. Again, it's not for everybody. If you've got metabolic problems, I'm sorry, but honey's not going to help you. Probably not. Uh, no. it's, it's, it's going to be challenging for you. Um, if you've got brain problems like I have and the things that I've been working on, I don't want to have honey. Um, I don't want to have spikes in my brain. Um, I want my brain to be on fire. I want it to be working. I don't need it. However, on the flip side, it was a very interesting podcast that Sally did with somebody. can't remember. I've watched so many of her podcasts um, where she spoke about Paul Saladino having possible metabolic problems so he does need to include honey and fruit in his diet he's also extremely active he does a lot of surfing so and he lives in a place where he gets a lot of sunlight he gets a lot of things it's different here in Canberra for example I mean it was another horror I mean I'm from Queensland so 18 degrees is horrible here so everybody else, Canberrans are like cheering because you know, it's getting close to 20. I'm still here going, this is sad. Um, <laughs> my husband laughs all the time because I'm always cold. Um, but it's it's interesting because we're living in a different place. You've got to take all these things into consideration. Now, Ashley will have a mango in summer because it's seasonal. She's moving around and running around. We would never have a mango before dinner or like before bed but if she has a mango in the middle of the day she can move around she can go for a walk she's probably running we're going swimming we've got all these things happening with us there's no way I'd let her have a mango in the middle of winter where it's cold and she's sitting down and doing nothing mango is also quite low oxalate so um, if she's feeling like that she can as I said we've got family up in Queensland so a mango is a summertime fruit I don't have so many problems with some fruits I personally do not like them um I am extremely uh sensitive to fructose it's a neurotoxin I am very very it it, it doesn't sit with me and again that is something I have fought my parents since I was little I was the science experiment kid I would leave fruit in the bottom of my school bag for as long as I possibly could because I've always hated fruit I Mm. hate how it makes me feel And I think people should listen to that and not force themselves to eat fruit if they don't want to. If some people would like to eat a little bit of fruit and their liver is working well, they have a fairly active lifestyle and it's seasonal, then go do it. It's your diet. It's your lifestyle. I really, as much as I'm very much a health coach that uh, encourages people to eat meat, I also hate labels. Why do you have to, you know, be carnivore keto low carb why can't you ebb and flow between the Mm. three of them throughout your day why can't you just be tracy who just eats this today um sometimes these these names can become too dogmatic and people have to fit themselves in a category Mm. and um i agree what's right for somebody is going to be wrong for somebody else and so this is why we need to work out what our own individual style is. Um, I talk to a lot of people about their culture, where they come from, going back and eating foods that their ancestors ate. 
my husband is half Singaporean Chinese and German English and a lot of Western foods don't work in his body. He is the size of a German. He's, he's six foot five, 120 kilos. Like he's a massive person. Metabolically though, he is such a freshie because his, his, um, his first generation, sorry, his first generation Western diet, his mother didn't move to Western foods until she was about 20, somewhere between 20 and 30 when she went to university yeah. to study to be a nurse. Before that, she left on, lived on her um, organic chicken farm. And mm. it's not organic like these days where we choose if we want to be organic. This was an organic farm out in the middle of, of Singapore where she has a dialect. She doesn't even speak Chinese. She speaks a dialect because she's out in the middle of whoop whoop. Um, and she grew up with this pristine diet. Sorry, I'm very fuzzy. <laughs> Whoop, whoop. Yeah, yeah. Anyone, just anyone that's listening, that's like, what the hell is you on about? Whoop whoop. whoop it's it's whoop. a bit of a, it's a bit of an Australianism. So whoop whoop is a is a small town in New South Wales. It's kind of kind of is it New South Wales or Canberra? It's on the border, isn't it? I think. Uh, it's kind of kind of in, in the middle of nowhere. Is it? Oh, I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Whoop, there, whoop anyway. is a place you don't know where it is, but it's pretty far away. <laughs> it's a pretty small, small place that nobody really knows where it is. There yeah, we go. Exactly. Let's let's call it. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna just Google that while I'm while I'm talking about it. And just correct. Um, as I said I grew up in Queensland. I have my yeah. my little. So um, it's it's an Australian term meaning a place that's far distance from anything. So yes. there you go. It's maybe not even a, actually a real a real place. Uh, apparently, sure it has. How to speak Aussie. <laughs> yes, apparently it has other some other slightly weird meanings. So maybe don't Google it. <laughs> um, but if we yeah other other weird meanings. Um, yeah. Okay, I mean I'm conscious of time, uh, Tracy, because oh, we've been speaking yeah, for about yeah. an hour and a half now. I, I could yeah. talk all day on this, but yeah. our listeners might be kind of uh, getting to the end of their long car journeys now and thinking, uh, okay, it's about time to turn off. Um, <laughs> I think I think you're right uh, um, that labels can sometimes be 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 harmful, and maybe we don't have to be fixed in in these ideas, carnival, animal based, you know, whatever we we kind of really want to call it. Um, I know you wanted, you were keen to talk about your Facebook group. So I'm oh, conscious okay. of time. Yep, so I'll yep. let you talk a little bit I'll about that. I'll wrap it up very quickly. So I run Low Carb Canberra here in, in obviously Canberra. And um, we have a fantastic event happening in on the 23rd and 24th of September. We have guest speakers like Jalal Khan. Um, who is a functional dentist in Sydney, also a quantum biologist. We have Pran Yoga Nathan coming. We have biochemist uh, Richard Morris, who was a former two keto dude. We have Dr. Jessica Turton, who is a dietitian, runs Elitz Health. Um, my co-founder of Low Carb Canberra, Dr. Liz Fraser. So we'll have talks. She's doing talks on seed oils and meat causes type two diabetes? Question mark. Um, so she brings some lots of good ones. The functional medicine doctor that I work alongside, Anya Michael, uh, sorry, Anya Michelle, is talking, um, uh, well, I'm not actually sure of what her title is. She's German. I, I love her. But she said, too many people talk about women's bits and pieces and PCOS. So she goes, I'm going to talk about balls. And I went, oh. Fair right. enough. <laughs> so um, her talk's going to be the opposite of PCOS and what's actually happening in our young men, yes, which I, I think is very prevalent um, yeah. and very good because uh, it's, it's 
PCOS is not just something or type 4 diabetes is not just something that's happening in women it's also happening in our young men yeah. so she brings a lot of very interesting topics to the table I love mm. Anya that's why I work alongside her um, we have a few other doctors that are coming and talking about their own uh, metabolic journey and changing their health I have a trauma psychologist coming to speak uh, he's very fantastic at talking about why we reach for the things we do mm. and the psychology around food uh, so we've got a quite a lineup of people. Yeah, and when is that? Sorry, twenty third, twenty fourth of September. So right. Okay. This month. Yeah, I'm not sure if this episode is going to be out before then. Uh, but what I will do, I will have to look at the schedule because I'm I've got a few okay. episodes backed up, so I might bump it up a bit anyway. Um, mm -hmm. I I can be putting some stuff on my socials anyway to oh, to kind you. of display that. So make sure you, so send, you me, send me send me all those links and. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Pick send me all those links and I'll put some stuff on my socials anyway for people cool, cool. So, yeah. so they can get yep. that. So I'm just not Thank sure if you. it'll be out by then. Um, great. Is there anything? I mean, we spoke about a lot otherwise, Tracy. Mm. Um, is there anything else that you think is 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 important for people to know? Any other amazing pearls of wisdom that you've got that you want to impart for people today? The biggest thing I always tell people is the smallest step is still a step in the right direction. Don't don't get too caught up. Um, when if you if you are going to go animal based, carnivore, whatever you'd like to call it, make sure you're comfortable with whatever you call it. Trial all foods, seafood, all meats, everything, and then you eliminate what you need to. You eat what you need to that makes you feel good and make you feel healthy. Don't worry about what somebody else is doing. It's not your game. Your game is what's in front of you and um just stay true to yourself that's that's all you really can do uh and if you if you're a mum of a sick child keep standing up and fighting for your truth for your there are people out there that can help you there are people that will listen you just have to find your tribe and that's what i've done so Abs if you get stuck absolutely. find me on facebook or anywhere and i'll help you find someone <laughs> uh there's lots of people that i know and there's lots of people that i haven't met yet but i'll know you soon <laughs> yeah i mean how can how can people find you on social media then tracy uh so just tracy kimberly um i'm tracy kimberly brackets wells that was my maiden name um a lot of people know me as tracy wells as well uh on facebook you can always anybody can join low carb canberra i don't mind uh you can uh, lots of people message me um from all different walks of life because they've listened to me from low carb down under or they've watched something on on low carb canberra and i will endeavor to message and talk to anybody and everybody that messaged me for whatever reason um I don't mind, even if it's just to connect or to find somebody. I, I had a lady a couple of years ago call me from Tasmania because she found my number somewhere and called me because her daughter had just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and four months later her second daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, we spent three hours on the phone. I will give time to any type 1 diabetic. I don't care where you're from. Um, but please, if you ever need anything or you just want somebody to listen, just message me. Find me on Messenger. Um, I'm pretty useless with electronics and social media. So <laughs> um, if, you, if you send me a friend request or you send me a message request and it takes me a couple of days to get back to it, 
sorry, <laughs> but I will find you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. Well, that's very kind of you to obviously put that offer out there, Tracy. So, and it sounds like you've got a great deal of wisdom, a great deal of experience also to back that up. You mentioned a number of times you don't feel like you, you know, you know everything, but I think you probably know far more than you're giving yourself credit for. Uh, I think you're, you've sounds like you've been an absolutely fantastic mum and a great advocate for, for your daughter and your other kids. Thank yeah, you. So, yeah. so good on I mean, you. You've said that when you're a parent, you've sometimes you've got to stand up and be their voice because they don't have one yet. You absolutely do. You absolutely do. Well, thank you so much for coming on today's show, Tracy. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Just like always with all my guests, I have learned some stuff today. So I love doing these podcasts because I love learning from people uh, and just connecting with like-minded individuals. So thank you so much for coming on the show my today. Pleasure. Thanks for having uh, me. And thank you, everybody, for watching and tuning into this episode of the Meet Medic Podcast. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you for this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meek Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeekmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50 off. That's code 50 off, five zero off, O-double-F, for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.